Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 57 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about weird questions. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So what are we doing today on uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World? Well, it's a fifth Friday, so today we're going to be using an episode of Catholic Answers Live where I answer weird questions that people have sent in. Um, We do this because you and I produce four episodes of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World every month, and in months where there's a fifth Friday, we don't want to leave people with nothing to listen to. So since our weird question show at Catholic Answers covers some similar material, but in a briefer format, it gives us a chance to hit a bunch of issues all at once. So today you're going to hear about uh, does a virus or a prion have a soul? Would it be presumptuous to assume that John Wayne is in heaven and ask for his intercession? Is belief in the Illuminati superstitious? Uh, Is the idea that we live in a simulation compatible with Catholicism? When a Catholic plays a video game, is it wrong or right to guide their virtual character to commit wrong acts in the game? Uh, Could time travel to prevent crime be moral? In future space colonies, how would you reconcile the current year with the terrestrial year? Uh, If we find human life on other planets, what will their story in relation to the creator be? Can I clone leviathans, behemoths, and unicorns in my lair? (laughs) Um, Is it wrong to wreck other people's property in Minecraft? In Minecraft, uh, what is the Catholic take on the Mandela effect and which early Christian writings that were excluded from the Bible have reliable information? Excellent. So uh, that's all in this week's episode. So, uh, yeah, it begins right now. Welcome to Catholic Answers Live, the program where you participate with your questions about apologetics and evangelization, including the most important theological, spiritual, moral, and social issues facing the world today. We're not taking live calls. However, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy the broadcast. Now, from San Diego, Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back for our second hour of Catholic Answers Live. I've been waiting for it all week. I've been fired up for it all week, and the moment has finally arrived. It's time for Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken uh, this hour. Not to be confused with Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. Uh, that is an, a different um, uh, beast. Space-time continuum. That's a different, yes. <laughs> a different space-time continuum. Uh, weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken is when we, well, I'll tell you what, but we get questions in all kinds of ways. Uh, uh, they come in letters, they come in emails, they come in Facebook posts and tweets, and uh, they come in all kinds of ways. And so we've collected up some of the weirdest, or maybe the, the fair thing to say is they 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 are um, about the weirdest topics or the weirdest ideas. Uh, and we save them up until Jimmy's here on a Friday, and then we fling them at them and see what he'll do with them. Jimmy Aiken is senior apologist here at Catholic Answers. Among his books, The Fathers Know Best, Your Essential Guide to the Teachings of the Early Church, and A Daily Defense, 365 Days, Plus One to Becoming a Better Apologist. And when I said uh, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, that refers to what, Jimmy? It's a podcast that I'm doing, one of several, and this one is devoted to 
unusual topics, kind of like this show, except we only take one topic per uh, episode of the podcast and we explore it. Um, the first episode was on ghosts. The second episode was on transhumanism. The third episode was on Bigfoot. And today's episode, this week's episode that just dropped this morning, is on Area 51. Ooh, the truth is out there, Jimmy. Yeah. Um, uh, all and, of those and, would be fine topics for an hour on Catholic Answers Live, by the way. Uh-huh. I, well, okay. Some may be more than others. Ghosts, mm-hmm. we could ease, We could definitely do an hour. People yeah. would want to know all about yeah. ghosts. Uh, Bigfoot? I don't know mm-hmm. what the religious implications of well, Bigfoot not are, as there are some, but not but, as many as as with ghosts. Yeah, uh, but if people want to find out what those are, because in each episode of Mysterious World, I look at the subject both from a faith perspective and a reason perspective, and they can go to jimmyakin dot com, and uh, it'll be right there at the top of the page. You can uh, listen to this week's episode. You can also watch them on YouTube and uh, other places around the net. So just search on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, and they'll all come up. And you get a little bit of Fides, a little bit of Ratio. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, so we won't take calls this hour because the the, the, um, the well, questions for, wouldn't be weird enough if we did. Yeah, we, we that's the thing is we want to make sure we've got fully weird questions. Also, mm-hmm. it is also the case, uh, just tangentially, that um, Marie doesn't really like to work very much on the last hour on a Friday. So we're letting her take the hour off from answering <laughs> calls. <laughs> She was. All, I was she, in the. Stu- I was in the engineering booth before, her and she was all game to go. She, you know. Oh so, yeah. yeah, she is as a I hard mean, worker. I mean, actually, and answer phone calls. Uh, so she's fine answering phone calls. Yep. Uh, all right. So I'm going to start you off with a weird question. Okay. Ready, Jimmy Aiken? Yeah. Uh, Patrick, I don't have a location for all of these, so they all come from somewhere out from there. From the internet. Uh, from the internets. Uh, Patrick Sweeney asks Jimmy Aiken, does a virus have a soul or a prion? Um, it's a question that the church obviously doesn't have a teaching about. The standard theological view is that all life forms have souls. And so consequently, um, if something, because the soul is what keeps a life form alive, and if therefore something is alive, theologically, we would presume it has a soul. And so the question becomes, are these different things alive? Well, there are various kinds of microorganisms. Some, uh, like uh, like bacilli, um, are clearly living cells. They're single-celled right. organisms, or sometimes you'll also have mul- some multi-celled s- microscopic organisms. And those are clearly alive, and so they would presumably have souls. In the case of a virus, well, actually, let me skip to the prion first. Prions, a lot of people haven't heard about them, but what they are is they're disease-causing agents that seem to consist of misfolded proteins. And oh. so um, – and they can cause various like brain uh, brain diseases and things like that, both in, in humans and in other creatures. And because they're a misfolded protein, they seem to – or at least a weird protein – they don't seem to be living things. Proteins are just chemical structures. They don't have metabolism. They don't uh, reproduce themselves, things like that. So uh, I would feel uh, fairly confident unless there's something about prions that I don't know or that, is, or that we have yet to discover. Um, I, I would feel confident saying prions are not alive and so prions do not have souls. They're mm-hmm. just proteins. In the case of um, viruses, it's ambiguous. Uh, viruses kind of are on the edge of living and non-living. And so over the course of history, they've been classified different ways. Originally, it was thought viruses were non-living, 
that they were just uh, poisons in essence. Yeah. And that's even where the word virus comes from. Uh, it's from a word meaning poison or venom in Latin. And over, then, though, it, as we learn more about viruses, it, an opinion developed that they were, in fact, alive. Uh, but then after the 40s, that kind of re- 1940s, that kind of retrenched. And it looks like they have some of the machinery needed for life, but they also lack certain aspects right. of that machinery. And they, they can't, for example, reproduce on their own. They require another cell, a living cell, to reproduce themselves. And so um, you could say, well, maybe, maybe they're like obligatory parasites. Maybe they are alive, but they require another organism mm-hmm. in order to maintain their life. And there are some people who seem to be entertaining that possibility today that um, that uh, they seem to borrow certain things. Like I was I was uh, just researching on this question and found a reference to a particular type of virus that attacks cholera and uh, cholera cells, and it'll like steal the immune system of the cholera cell and incorporate it into itself. Whoa. Yeah. And um, so they they might be a kind of parasitic obligate um, parasite, but um, it's ambiguous. And part of the problem is compounded by the fact that it's really hard to define life in a precise way. Life has certain characteristics that it displays, yeah. but scientists don't have a rigorous definition for life. Right. And so consequently, viruses are kind of on the border, I'd say. It could go either way in terms of are they alive and therefore would they theologically be regarded as having souls. Patrick Sweeney, we, thank we you for that weird should, question. should mention, although this also is just theological opinion rather than church teaching, the common theological opinion is just because you have a soul doesn't mean you survive death. Um, that only rational souls like humans have, and maybe aliens, uh, survive death. Um, so you don't necessarily have to worry about there being lots of uh, virus or bacillus souls in the afterlife. That could give your soul a cold if that happens. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Jocko from uh, Lurab, Illinois, uh, says, given that John Wayne... Uh, was received into the Catholic Church just before he died. Mm-hmm. His name, his real name was Marion, wasn't it? Right, Ma- yeah. Marian, so, so I don't know if he was received as John Wayne, but uh, uh, we know what you're talking about. The man and known as John Wayne. That man. He received the sacraments at the time, right, mm-hmm. just before his death. Yep. Would it be too presumptuous to believe that he is in heaven and to ask the Duke to pray for us? Um, well, it would be too presumptuous if you ha- if you had strong evidence that he he wasn't sincere and, or that he committed a mortal sin and didn't repent of it right before he died. But as long as that's not the case, um, one may presume his salvation in the sense of a tentative hypothesis, which is in fact why we pray for people, even if we're not sure if they if they um, uh, if they are saints or not. We can still you know pray for people as, as on the hope that they are on the salvation track and thus could be benefited by our prayers in purgatory if they need them. Um, so there's kind of a, a, a presumption, unless you have clear evidence otherwise, it's okay to assume as a tentative hypothesis uh, that someone is saved. And that then raises the question of, can you ask them to help you? Well, yeah, 
there's no no law against that. Um, there is a question of is it appropriate to like create a John Wayne holy card and you know start spreading devotion to John Wayne? Yeah. Well, the answer on that one is the Code of Canon Law provides that public veneration is only to be given to um, individuals who are written in the Roman martyrology, so the saints and blessed that the church has officially recognized. Mm-hmm. So, But public veneration means in a church, under church auspices, officially. That um, hmm. doesn't stop private veneration. And in fact, private veneration is often something that the church looks at to see if an individual has a reputation for holiness that leads to ordinary individuals to venerate them privately, and then that can be a sign that the church may open an investigation into their sanctity and that can can lead to them one day maybe being declared a saint. So there's no private uh, prohibition – there's no prohibition on private veneration of individuals who are not canonized or who are not beatified. You can do that. But you want to make sure that you do it in a reasonable way and it's consistent with the evidence and mm-hmm. and so forth. Uh, that's good news to hear about, uh, John Wayne. Uh, something that I uh, – a little, a little piece of trivia for you. Okay. His um, grandson mm-hmm. is a priest up in, I believe, Orange County. I think oh, of the I Diocese of Orange County. Oh, wow. Of, of Orange. I mean, Diocese uh-huh. of Orange, yeah. Um, I'm not, yeah, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that that's a true thing. Um, cool. Understanding Revelation, Decoding the Bible's Most Mysterious Book. This is a great talk that Jimmy gave. Um, On one of the most talked about books of the Bible, one of the strangest things you will find in the Bible, uh, you can download a copy of that talk by visiting the Catholic Answers Facebook page. You just go to the Catholic Answers Facebook page. Is it pinned? Is that the right word? It's pinned at the top there. Is that right? Where's Marie? Uh, Well, but it comes right up. And then you just click to download it, and you can have that free MP3 of Understanding Revelation, Decoding the Bible's Most Mysterious Book. We're glad you're with us. Stick around for more Catholic Answers Live. You've heard that St. Paul Street Evangelization supports hundreds of teams of evangelists sharing the good news. But did you know that some of these teams are public prayer stations? Set up a sign on the sidewalk and offer prayer and encouragement to those you encounter. Everyone needs prayer. Try this new method of witnessing to Jesus. Contact St. Paul Street Evangelization to get started at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. I would describe myself as a revert, and ever since I came back to a practice of my faith, I started praying the rosary, going to even daily mass, God has led me on an amazing journey and used me in a lot of incredible ways that I never dreamed would have been possible, and I'm just so grateful to God for all of His gifts and blessings in my life. Take two with Jerry and Debbie, tomorrow, noon Eastern, on EWTN Radio. We're not taking live calls. However, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy the broadcast. This is Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. It's Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour. And uh, guess what? Our guest is Jimmy Aiken, senior apologist here at Catholic Answers. Uh, Jimmy, Heather Wright uh, writes, can Catholics believe that the Illuminati exist? Is that considered a superstition? It's wouldn't be superstition in the formal sense, in okay. the technical sense, because that involves religious matters. 
uh, like thinking that a, a good luck charm is really going to bring you good luck or something. That kind of gets us into the spiritual, supernatural world. Um, having said that, there is a kind of natural equivalent of superstition where you believe something more strongly than the evidence warrants or in, in or contrary to the evidence we have. Like if you wanted to believe the moon was made of green cheese, well, we have moon rocks. And all of the evidence points to the moon not being made of green cheese. So if you decided, well, I'm going to believe the moon's made of green cheese, it wouldn't be supernatural. Or it wouldn't be superstitious in the religious sense because it doesn't involve the supernatural. It's just a matter of nature what the moon is made of. But it would be contrary to the scientific evidence we have. And so it would be a kind of natural equivalent of superstition. In the case of the Illuminati, the claim is that there's this hidden organization um, that is up to no good and and running various aspects, uh, depending on the claims that are involved in a particular case, either has run or is running uh, various schemes out there uh, in the geopolitical world. And so the question is, what's the evidence for such an organization? Do we have evidence that an organization like this exists? Well, we do have evidence that there are conspiracies in the world. That's why we have laws against conspiracies. A conspiracy is just an agreement of two or more individuals to commit an illegal act. And there have been all kinds of conspiracies that we have known to exist in history. The Lincoln assassination conspiracy, um, the uh, the Watergate conspiracy, the Iran-Contra conspiracy. There have been all kinds of the mafia, you know, yeah, all organized I, crime is a conspiracy yeah. or of one kind or another. So conspiracies are real things, and there are groups uh, that we know about in the world today that are, depending on how you look at them, that may fall into this category of kind of shadowy international organizations um, that are up to no good. Um, frequently cited examples include a meeting that occurs every year at Davos, Switzerland. Oh, right. And also the Bilderberg Group. Mm -hmm. um, and we know these organizations are real. We know they meet. Now, their representatives say, oh, we're, we're not a conspiracy. We're just a discussion club yeah. for world leaders of various types to get together and discuss things and, you know, see what we can do to promote the common good and maybe line our pockets. <laughs> and um, so, you know, whether... So they don't say the or maybe line our pockets They don't part, say that do part usually, <laughs> okay. but, you know, it's kind of there. Yeah. Um, so... You know, how positively or negatively one views movements like that. We know that such movements exist. Um, the question, though, about the Illuminati in particular, well, what 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 evidence do we have? And particularly, what historical evidence do we have? We know that in the 1700s, there was an organization founded, if memory serves, in Austria by a guy named Adam Weishaupt um, called the Illuminati. And they were a kind of secret brotherhood that did various things. But the evidence we have is that they they no longer exist, that particular group. Okay. However, um, there, uh, there have been numerous copycats down through the ages. And I'm sure there's a group of teenagers somewhere who call themselves the Illuminati and, you know, maybe mm -hmm. get together and listen to heavy metal records or something um, just for fun. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure there are groups that call themselves the Illuminati today, but the evidence uh, that uh, such a group has achieved prominence 
and is secretly running the world or chunks of it, that's something that uh, would have to be looked at in an objective way. And obviously, the secret nature of such groups would hamper that weighing of the evidence. Personally, I haven't seen evidence that there is such a group calling itself the Illuminati today that has any significant influence. Um, So I personally don't uh, believe that there is such a group. I can't say that there's not, uh, and I can't say no one should believe it, but I would say that um, the claims in this area, as in a lot of areas, are likely not critically evaluated and by many of the people repeating the claims, and therefore they should be looked at with a skeptical eye. Um, do you have the impre- do you share the impression with me that sometimes m- mass mechanized and and um, and digitized society can make us feel very small and and vulnerable and and we so we can I mean I think this oh, sometimes- but it's not that it, it, yeah. I mean that's true but but people have been into conspiracies since forever conspiracy yeah. theories are everyone in every age wonders who's secretly running stuff <laughs> yeah okay fair mm-hmm. enough um, and you're not going to tell me. Who's secretly running stuff now? I'm not allowed to tell you. You're going to keep that top secret? All right. Uh, Andre Miron asks, is the idea that we live in a simulation Mm -hmm. compatible with Catholicism, assuming that the simulation is essentially occurring within the mind of God? The idea that we're living in a simulation is something that has actually been talked up recently by some physicists. Um, And so the twist in the question of that's occurring in the mind of God is a little bit different. Um, Basically, God knows the existence and all of the details of every possible world because he's omniscient. He he therefore knows everything uh, that uh, is possible to know, everything that doesn't involve a logical contradiction, like what's the shape of a four-sided triangle. You know, God doesn't know that because that's not a thing. That's just gibberish. Right. Um, But God does know the details of every single possible world, which are infinite in number. And um, so so he's aware of those things. But precisely because he's aware of them, I don't know what it would mean to say he has a simulation running in his mind because he's not like us. If I need to say, well, ooh, I wonder what could happen tomorrow, I need to run a simulation in my mind. Oh, yeah, right. And, I see and, what you mean. And, or how might this conversation go tomorrow? I need to run a simulation of mm-hmm. how the conversation might go. God doesn't need to run simulations. He just knows all this stuff. Yeah. And so I don't know what it would mean for God to have a simulation in his mind. And so um, my uh, initial thought on the question would be that we couldn't be a simulation in God's mind because he doesn't need to run simulations. His mind isn't configured to have simulations in it. And so that's what I'd say to the question directly. Now, that, that leaves open, though, another question, which is, could we be a possible world that God knows could happen, but that he, in fact, chose not to create? No, and, no, don't go there. And, oh, yeah, okay. and you could just like just like some of the ar- arguments that scientists have proposed that, you know, argue that in, they'll try to argue that the the number of simulations that would get run in each universe is so great that 
were probably one of the simulations just numerically. Mm-hmm. Well, if God knows an infinite number of possible worlds and he only created one of them, the odds would be pretty good we're not that one on a purely numerical basis. Um, so how might one argue that we do, in fact, exist and are more than just a possible world? And the best answer that I have for that is the same one that Rene Descartes offered. Rene Descartes said, well, regardless of whether everything I believe about the world is an illusion, yeah. I have an inner experience of my own thought, right. and I know that's real. I think, therefore, I am. Right. And since we, or at least I do, Sai, have uh, inner experience of thought. <laughs> that seemed like you were implying um, I don't. Well, it's, this is called, in philosophy, this is called the problem of other minds. How do we yeah. know other minds really exist? Because yeah. we only have intuitive access to our own mind. But I do have intuitive access to my mind. I have the experience of being real, of being conscious. That constitutes evidence uh-huh. that I am, in fact, real. And so I would say that um, that I think, therefore, I am. So this is a real world and not just a possible world. Having said that, um, also, I would say the numerical argument that if God only created one, then Mm -hmm. we're probably not it, is a flawed argument because it presupposes God only created one. How do we know he didn't create an infinite number of possible worlds? Yeah, we don't, do we? Yeah. Um, now, let me just uh, take that a step further because you, mm-hmm. you start with that, what you might call the hyperbolic skepticism of, of, um, of Descartes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I will just yeah. discount every. But you're not actually that level of a skeptic. No, like, no, no, like no. You no, believe no. that people do have, that other people exist. Oh, yeah, and exists. have minds and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure. And Descartes did too. He just he said, as he was engaged on an, a project in philosophy right. called foundationalism, yeah. where he said, let's tear away everything that could possibly be doubted, find out what the solid foundation for our knowledge is, and then rebuild from there. Yeah, fair enough. Because this, this may – I don't know if this makes any sense, but it would to some degree hurt my feelings if you thought I didn't exist. No, I think you do. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, Jonathan Hayes asks, if you're playing a video game – where your character has the option of doing sinful acts like stealing and murdering, is a Catholic player morally obligated to play the video game to the best of their abilities without letting the character they are playing uh, that they're playing as commit those sinful acts? Or because it's not real life and only a game, is it acceptable to even intentionally guide your character to commit those acts? Ooh, I like this question. It's a question that has a complex answer yeah. because um, it is possible for people to do in in non-real settings to simulate things that are – that if you did them would be objectively evil. Right. Um, but to be without sin in making that simulation. Famous example, having a passion play because in the passion play there is a moment where the crowd needs to chant crucify him. Yes, right. And you need actors to play that part and and say that line. And um yet there is no sin in that because it's understood they don't really want Jesus to be crucified. In fact, they're trying to preserve the memory of Jesus and honor the memory of Jesus by telling his story, which is the same reason the evangelists wrote it down. And so they're trying to make this vivid depiction of Jesus' story so that 
um, so that people can grow closer to Jesus and remember Jesus. So it's a fun, they have a fundamentally moral and good goal, even though it means simulating a non-real evil act. And uh, so that's part of the answer. But I hear that music coming up on us, and I'll give you the other part of the answer on the other side of the break. Jimmy Aiken is our guest this hour. Jimmy is senior apologist here at Catholic Answers, and he's got a podcast now called Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. But every now and then he comes by on a Friday and we do weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. So we're doing your weird questions right now. We'll do more of that when we come back right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. The Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android. With the recent commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the release of Humana Vitae, there have been fresh attacks on Catholic teaching from outside and, unfortunately, inside the Church. That's why Catholic Answers thought it critical to provide a vigorous affirmation of Paul VI's prophetic wisdom with our newest book, Inseparable, Five Perspectives on Sex, Life, and Love in Defense of Humana Vitae. We asked five distinguished contributors to reflect on and defend Humana Vitae from five perspectives, each of them compelling, together forming a mosaic of truth. Don't be caught uninformed when the topic of contraception comes up among friends, family, and co-workers. Order your copy of Inseparable today by calling 1-888-291-8000 or visiting the shop at catholic.com. In a culture that worships the pursuit of sexual pleasure, the Catholic Church's teaching on contraception can seem archaic and unintelligible. Its critics say it is outdated, theologically unfounded, and even harmful. And even faithful Catholics can have difficulty explaining this moral teaching. Catholic Answers is out to change all that. That's why we've just released Trent Horn's dynamic new DVD, The Case Against Contraception. Using scripture, papal and magisterial teaching, natural law, and new insights provided by social science in medicine, Trent put forward a compelling case for Catholic teaching with his trademark charity and persuasive graciousness. Be prepared to give a defense. Order your copy of The Case Against Contraception today by calling 1-888-291-8000, logging onto the shop at catholic.com, or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Hi, this is Dr. David Anders. Do you have questions about the Catholic faith? Listen for the best of Call to Communion on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern and live on Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Call to Communion on EWTN Radio. Now, back to Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy Aiken, our guest. It's Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken uh, this afternoon or evening, depending on where you are. And we left off with a question about uh, playing a video game in which you're doing, where you're playing as a character and the character's doing bad things. Right. And what's the moral? Yeah. So we've established, like when people say the line, crucify him in a passion play, right. that it, is, that it can be okay to, um, to simulate what would be an evil act if you did it in real life, provided you're doing it for – you're not really endorsing it and you're doing it for a good goal. And so uh, that applies to other areas as well. It includes not just passion plays but any form of movie or TV or drama Yeah, because you need bad guys to get the story going and the having entertainment is itself a worthwhile experience. 
Um, so how about games? Well, they're a form of entertainment. The question is, who are you entertaining? Well, you yourself, presumably, unless you're like one of those Korean professional video game players who's there to make money by entertaining other people. Um, but also, you might be entertaining other people. Some people even have YouTube channels where they're playing a game and people can watch them playing the game. Yeah. Um, you might be playing with other people. There are multiplayer games. Whatever the case is, um, a couple of conditions will need to be satisfied. One of them is this doesn't foster in you evil inclinations, um, that uh, you, you're not building vice or mm-hmm. you know habits of vice in your thought patterns and so forth by doing this, and that the risk of such things developing is acceptable given the benefit that uh, is being provided in the form of entertainment to you or others. You can't say, well, if there's even a one in a billion chance I might have a, a bad thought, yeah. I'm not going to do it because, well, then you're not going to do anything in life yeah. because everything has a one in a billion chance of leading to a bad thought. Right. Um, but as long as the benefit is proportionate to the risk, it is in itself permissible in principle. The problem for me would be I, I would think there would be better alternatives in most situations. Yeah. And now I'm not a big video game player to begin with, but my inclination would be personally to uh, to find video games that will be entertaining for me and others where I'm not called upon to do that. Having said that, um, you know, I could imagine like being an actor. I've acted in plays before. I've even been the villain before. In plays, I was once. You say that like I would be surprised, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was, uh, I was once in Fiddler on the Roof, and I played the constable who, you uh, know, yeah. kicks him out at the end. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you know, it, it's it's something that involves a judgment call, and I can't say no, but also I can say we want to. Uh, you know, take reasonable precautions to make sure we're not building habits of vice in our thoughts. Uh, and yeah. and there is a line there that people need to be careful of. Some games, like, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto or things where, you know, shoot up the police games yeah. are just, it's hard for me to see how that That's doesn't cross into this bit. territory. Yeah, yeah, right, right. All right, Jonathan, thank you very much for that question. Uh, Robert Niederman asks, what is the moral culpability of a person who murders someone, then uses time travel to prevent the murder? Mm-hmm. What if someone else uses time travel to prevent the murder? Say I take Oswald out of killing JFK. Okay. Uh, so we have two scenarios. The first one, you kill somebody and then you use time travel to stop yourself. Yeah. Well, it depends on how you stop yourself. Because if you go back in time to just before you committed the murder and shoot yourself in the head, Mm -hmm. that may not be morally legitimate. It might if it's the only way to stop you and like you couldn't go to an earlier moment when you could have stopped yourself in another way. Uh, But it can also count as suicide. I got you. And so so there there are issues here. And actually, time travel and the ethics of suicide is... Its own question we might want to talk about sometime, but 
Um, in principle, if you let's say you use a legitimate way of stopping yourself, mm-hmm. like you talk to yourself and you talk yourself out of it, you say, I've been down this timeline, you don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, you would have committed a mortal sin by murdering someone, and then you would have repented of it and done an, an action to help make reparation for it by doing what you could to undo the damage. So that the ordinary moral calculus of those of that situation would apply. Uh, you did a bad thing mm-hmm. and one that will require confession sacramentally. Um, but at the same time, you've already displayed goodwill by repenting of it and doing what you could to make reparation for it. Mm-hmm. So um, so you you've done a you've done a good thing in that and you still will need to go to confession. Um, in terms of the second scenario yeah. where, like, let's say you go back now, oh, notice the question presupposes it was Oswald who killed Kennedy. Oh, now we're going to go into more conspiracy theories. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Os- it's interesting. Um, it, I, I don't know who killed Kennedy. Um, and Oswald may have done it. And Oswald may have been the lone shooter. But you do not have to be crazy to entertain other hypotheses, because usually when someone is... Um, is just assassinated a person, they're really proud of it because they were so mad that they wanted this person to die. And so they want to take credit for it. It's like oh, when, when John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln, he jumps on the stage and shouts, uh, six semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants. You know, he wanted to make a spectacle of himself. Oh, I thought it was six semper tyrannosaurus. I've always gotten that no, wrong. Yeah, That's no. always to tyrannosaurus. That's, no? that's a different assassination. Okay. Thinking of. <laughs> Fair um, enough. But... Uh, when uh, when Oswald was in police custody in Dallas, he said, I, di- I didn't do it. I'm just a patsy. And uh, then when he gets killed, uh, like later that weekend in police custody by a guy with mob connections. Yeah. It, it looks like eliminate the patsy. Yeah. You know, um, because he's going to spill the beans. And so you don't have to be crazy. But let's suppose Oswald did kill Kennedy and that he was the lone shooter. It was just his own crazy idea. Um, What happens? What are the ethics if you go back and stop Oswald from doing it? Well, you've done a good thing. You just talked someone out of committing a murder. Um, If nothing else affects that situation, then that's all you need to know. You've done a good thing. Oswald if given his prior murderous intent, likely still needs to go to confession because murdering someone in your heart is still a mortal sin. Um, So he may need to go get, he's likely to need to go to confession, but you've in principle done a good thing. You'll notice I haven't talked about, well, what are the implications of changing history and what are the moral implications of that? That's another question we can talk about another time. Oh, come on, Jimmy. Okay, all right. Well, that uh, that will allow us to get to more questioners, exactly. too. So uh, that's a good one. Uh, Paul uh, Leon asks, in future Catholic space colonies, how would you reconcile the local year with the terrestrial liturgical year? Oh, It's going to depend on the uh, orbital period of the planet and the rotational period of the planet. If it closely resembles Earth or if it um, is... Cl- if it's a multiple or convenient fraction of Earth's day and year length, then you could sync the two calendars at least approximately. Um, like, um, let's suppose their year is exactly or within a few days twice as long as Earth's year. Yeah. 
Well, then it would be easy to say, okay, we're going to celebrate Christmas twice a year, and we're going to run through all the same liturgical seasons twice a year, twice a local year because it's twice as long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If it's half as long as Earth's year, then you say, okay, we can sync this with Earth's calendar by every two local years we'll go through one Earth liturgical cycle. So we'll celebrate Christmas every two local years, which would be the same as every one Earth year. But there are going to be loads of planets that don't have anything like that. Right. Um, They're going to have – some of them are going to have orbital periods of four days and things like that. They go around their sun once every four days and – or 640 years. Actually, the longer it gets, the easier it gets to sync it with Earth because you just um, you just multiply. Yeah. But if it's uh, if it's some really weird number that's either really short or doesn't easily divide into an Earth year, then probably the colony comes up with its own liturgical calendar that um, is likely to have a common celebration of Easter and Christmas. With Earth, yeah, but is uh, also likely to, other than that, be very different, and that's not unexpected. I mean, even here on Earth in the Catholic Church, we have very different liturgical calendars in the different Catholic churches that are in communion with Rome that aren't Latin. So, for example, in the uh, in if memory serves, in the Chaldean Church, they have a liturgical season devoted to the prophet Elijah. And one yeah. devoted to Moses, if I recall correctly. Uh-huh. And so uh, – and even in the Latin Rite, even though there's a universal calendar in the Latin Rite, it gets modified by each local bishop's conference. And so presumably the bishop's conferences on these planets would have the same authority to create their own liturgical calendar, but probably with some things in common with theirs, such as a common celebration of Christmas and Easter. Uh, this brings up a weird question that I'm going to ask you next time we do weird questions. Okay. So if you're in, we'll have to put it in the log. If you're in stasis, uh-huh. traveling to another star, uh-huh. um, are you responsible to get to mass every week? I'll tell you right now. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> okay. All right. You get. You, all right. Fair enough. That was an easy. It's like one if you. you're in the hospital right now and you you're mm-hmm. in a coma. Let's say a medically induced coma because oh, your body needs to heal. Right. Well, you don't have to get to mass. Or if you're on a ship that doesn't have mass available and you're on a long voyage, you don't have to get to mass. Okay. Well, that was very easy for you then. Yeah. All right. Uh, back to school uh, is uh, the back to school sale is on right now. We've got uh, several Jimmy Aiken titles there. And uh, the, well, the father's no best one, a daily defense, uh, another that I mentioned at the beginning of the program. Those are on sale uh, for your student as they head back to school, 10 to 25% off. In some cases, more. Dozens of great resources on sale to help shore up the faith of students returning to school. Visit the special back-to-school category at shop.catholic.com for more information. There's only one. Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers Live is brought to you in part by CatholicSingles.com, the website for Catholics who want to meet others who share their faith and values for faith, fellowship, and love. You can learn more at CatholicSingles.com. Catholic Answers Live thanks CatholicSingles.com for their generous support. Homeschool Connections, an online provider of courses for your Catholic homeschool, is a sponsor of Catholic Answers Live. Homeschool Connections' website is HomeschoolConnections.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I said to the churches one day, what do you think you're going to look like in heaven? Oh, some of them had absolutely magnificent ideas. I didn't think of one of them. 
And so I got desperate because then my turn came. I didn't know what to say. And so in desperation, I said, what do you think I'll wear in heaven? And they all said with one voice, armor. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. We're not taking live calls. However, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy the broadcast. This is Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Weird questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour. And uh, Jimmy, we go to Gene. Uh, Gene Paradiso is the name. Uh, and the question is, if we find humanoid life on other planets, mm-hmm. what do you think will be their story regarding the creator? It, it's hard to say. There are a number of options. Uh, they could be a race that's completely unfallen. And they might have just crystal clear knowledge of the true God and might know more than we do. Um, So an example of kind of a race like that is in C.S. Lewis's novel Paralandra, where uh, the inhabitants of Venus are unfallen. And now they don't have all the characteristics I just named, but – for example, that would be an unfallen race. Right. Um, it's also possible they could be a fallen race that has lost all knowledge of God. Um, oh. It's also possible they could be somewhere in the middle like us like where yeah. uh, they have different religions because they have a desire for God built in their heart. But because of the fall, many of them have been deprived of that knowledge. And so they've come up with other gods to fill the role of the true God in their heart. But I would suspect that on any uh, in any race that's not um like fallen angels that don't have their their wills are configured so that they don't repent mm-hmm. after the fall as long as they have the capacity to repent i would suspect that god will have preserved some voice for himself even if it's only a very few people at the moment who know it yeah. um like when abraham was, you know, just starting out on his journey, and there wasn't even a nation of Israel, much less did, you know, almost the entire global population have heard of God like now. Yeah, fair enough. It it reminds me of a, you know, Walker Percy is one of my favorite Mm -hmm. authors, and he he has a story where a spaceship approaches a planet, and they... And you can tell by the communication, the planet realizes that it's, that humans are a fallen race, mm-hmm. and they don't let them come. Uh-huh. They say, it's, uh, "Return to your planet, thanks. please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We we don't need what you're selling." Uh, okay, Michael Campos asks the following, and you're going to have to help me make sense of this. I'm not. Okay. Uh, he says, Le- "Leviathans, behemoths, and unicorns." Okay, and can I clone them in my lair? Okay, um, so uh, these are creatures that are mentioned in the Bible, and they'll be translated somewhat different ways. Your Bible translation translation may not use those words. Yeah. It's unclear what Leviathan and Behemoth and the unicorn are in Scripture. Um, some have proposed that these are uh, mythical animals that are, it's like if I talked about dragons, Yeah, you know, it, you know, it, dragons in to the modern mind are, you know, especially fire breathing ones. They don't really exist, but we can still use them for literary purposes. And I can say, oh, what a dragon that guy turned out to be. Yeah, you know? right. Um, but uh, they may have some basis in history, even if they were then mythologized by people in the ancient Near East, because fossils did not suddenly start appearing in the 1900s. Um, People have been digging up fossils all through history. And, you know, there have been earthquakes and mudslides and a cliff face falls off and there's a dinosaur skeleton. Oh, right. And so um, we have actually, there are a few books that have been written about 
the discovery of fossil bones in the ancient world. And people would say, wow, there's this area where there are all these giant bones. This must have been like a battlefield for giant monsters. Yeah. Um, and it appears that some of these got taken into like Greek temples. And uh, St. Augustine talks about finding an enormous monstrous tooth on the beach once. Uh. And so, um, so people all through history have been finding fossils and saying, this is some kind of ancient prehistoric beast. And they were right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. it um, was. so it could be that Le- Leviathan and Behemoth and uh, are such are, are an ancient Near Eastern perception of these things. Yes. And so if you can get Jurassic Park going in your basement, then you'll you, have Leviathan. You, you could. And there's no since they're animals, there's no in principle, in principle, illegitimate reason why you couldn't clone them. Um, having said that, uh, there could be prudential considerations like is it too expensive? Could you use that money better on something else? Or will they run amok and kill people if I do this? They always do in the I movies. I think I saw a movie about that. Yeah. yeah. Happens every time. Um, so so but there's not a problem with cloning them in principle, even bringing them back from from extinction. Now, you'll notice I mentioned Le- Leviathan behemoth. There's also another theory or other theories about what they are. Um, one is that Leviathan is crocodile and oh. uh, behemoth is hippo. So that's also been proposed, although my thought is the mythological archaeological yeah. explanation is more likely correct. Um, but you could have them in, and clone them if you needed to, or you could just go capture them if you really need them. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll notice I haven't discussed unicorns. Right. Because, and there's a reason for that, because this is a case where I think we have a pretty good idea what the Bible's referring to. Um, if you look in ancient literature, such as Pliny the Elder's uh, Natural History, um, he talks about unicorns and where you can find them and what their physical characteristics are. And if you look in that part of the world, which happens to be India, and you look for an animal that has the characteristics he describes, it sounds like he's talking about an Indian rhinoceros. Oh, which is a unicorn. Which is a unicorn. It's got yeah. the one horn in the, and, and right. it's in the center of its face, which is what he says. And it has these other characteristics. He talks about what its tail is like, what its body is like, what its feet are like. And it sounds like he's talking about an Indian rhinoceros. Oh, so. And in fact, if you want um, to learn more about that, I have a YouTube video. If you go to YouTube.com slash Jimmy Aiken or just go to YouTube and type in Jimmy Aiken Unicorn. Mm -hmm. And I've got a video where I show you Pliny's uh, explanation. And and I talk about the relation to the Bible passages. And I even show you a picture of, uh, of what his description would be like, an artist's conception, and then show you how it compares to a to an Indian rhinoceros. Oh, how cool. How yeah. cool. Speaking of um, ancient uh, dinosaurs, mm-hmm. any Roman emperors have a dinosaur? Or pet? Anything? No, not as a pet. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe they had a... I had heard that uh, either Tiberius or Augustus had a dinosaur or dinosaur bones in their... It wouldn't surprise me. I'd have to check. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Let's go to, oh, we got plenty of time. Good. Uh, Steve Parma. Is it, oh, Steve, I like this question. Is it wrong to wreck other people's property in Minecraft? Absolutely. 
people spent time investing in spent their time and maybe other things too in uh, in creativity and trying to build something yeah in Minecraft which for people who may not be aware is a multiplayer game that involves a virtual world where you kind of homestead and set up your thing and you make buildings and you're devoting your time and energy to that yeah and to have someone come along and just destroy that it's like it's it, it, it it's like you know you built yourself a house and someone comes along and destroys it you spent your time and energy on it and someone's wrecking it. Yeah. Or if you, you know, write a document or compose a play or something in the files on your computer and some hacker comes along and smashes it all, you know, that's not, that's not cool. Um, now, if I'm playing devil's advocate, can I imagine a group of people who have freely consented to play a sneaky game with each other and it's all part of the known rules and it's what everybody's expecting and it's part of the fun? Well, Okay, in that circumstance, but unless you're in that circumstance, do not smash other people's stuff on Minecraft or anywhere else. No. Right. Even, it doesn't matter that it's virtual. It still represents their time and effort. Uh, Heather Wright asks, oh, I, I don't know what this is, Jimmy. I hope you do. What, okay. what is the Catholic take on Mandela effect? Oh, is the, it possible? The Mandela effect. Okay. So the Mandela effect is uh, a catch-all name for... People who remember something happening as a group, and then they find out it didn't happen that way. And rather than attributing it to false memory, they'll say, maybe we're in a simulation and this this system has just glitched so that our history has changed. Or maybe we've just (laughs) slid from one parallel world to to another without realizing it. Right. And examples include... Uh, it, it's named after the Ma- Nelson Mandela, the former political prisoner from South Africa who later became its president. And the woman who named it uh, was a paranormal researcher who remembered and claims other people would remember Nelson Mandela dying in the 1980s. Oh, so when it, in fact he didn't. Uh, I gotcha. And uh, there are other famous examples like th- a lot of people will remember the Baron Stain Bears originally being the Baron Steen Bears. And there are people who will remember the comedian Sinbad starring in a movie called Shazam. I was one of those people. I remembered that. It actually appears to be based on Shaquille O'Neal being in a movie called Kazam. Yeah, right. Um, And so the question is, is this false memory or is this... Um, a glitch in a simulation, or is it time? Someone messing with our history via time travel, or have we slid into parallel worlds? <laughs> right. Um, I can't rule out any of those in principle, but the simplest explanation is usually the uh, the the best in such circumstances. We know human memory is unreliable. It's real easy to see how. Baron Stain could get transformed into Baron Steen in a bunch of people's memories. It's real easy to see how Shaquille O'Neal starring as a genie in a movie called Kazam could get mutated right. to another guy in a genie who wore a genie costume at one point um, getting mistaken for and a movie called Shazam, given that that's a word out there in our culture. Right. It's. And Nelson Mandela being a political prisoner, it's easy to imagine him dying in prison. Yeah. Um, so the false memory hypothesis to me is the most likely explanation for the Mandela effect. Yeah. Or I remember uh, Stephen Biko, a South African uh, uh, liberation fighter, was killed in the 80s. Maybe mm-hmm. your you mind just those. Qu- crosses yeah. those two up. 
Um, I, do you think we have time for another? Yeah, I think we have time for another. Um, I'm glad I'm talking to myself about these things. Tom Trinko says, which early Christian writings which were excluded from the Bible contain useful information? For example, I recall some work which is cited by folks for the data that Joseph was a widower, but isn't in the normal list of church uh, father writings. Or are all those writings that aren't included in the early church fathers list completely unreliable? And I assume you're talking uh, historically unreliable as opposed to theologically unreliable, because the Church's Father's writings are very valuable theologically. In terms of history, the document you're thinking of is called the Proto-Evangelium of James. It's from the uh, early to mid-2nd century, and it does record that Joseph was a widower who already had a family when he married Mary. Um, And that may be, given its proximity to uh, to Mary's lifetime, um, it could, it could, and the continued existence of Jesus's relatives in the church. They were a group called the Dispasinoi, which we can talk about sometime. Um, they uh, they could have easily preserved the memory of their family circumstances until it got written down. Um, in terms of other things, there are valuable historical references in uh, the writings of church fathers. Some of them fill in pieces of the puzzle that we didn't, we wouldn't know from the New Testament, like how Peter and Paul died. Um, that's referred to in First Clement. Oh, right, right. Um, also, there are various sayings of Jesus called the Agrapha that uh, are reported in some of the early church fathers' writings that scholars have taken seriously in some cases and said this, this might be something Jesus taught. So, um, so they're not without value, but we do have to proceed carefully and with critical thinking here. Uh, thank you, Tom, for that question. Thanks for everybody who sent us in weird questions one way or another. Uh, Jimmy, that was a great hour. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Uh, uh, yeah, there was a lot of weird stuff there. Uh, Suetonius says Augustus had some dinosaur bones, I think. Uh, I looked it up su- while we were I'm talking. not surprised. Suetonius would say those kinds of things, though. Yeah, he was into gossip. <laughs> hey, we got some special Labor Day uh, shows oh, recorded for you. I remember that passage in Suetonius now. We'll see you next time on Catholic Answers Live. Okay, so that was uh, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World's Weird Questions. I hope you enjoyed that. Jimmy, what is the subject of our next episode? Uh, Next week, we're going to be looking at an event that happened in 1944. It uh, was during World War II, so a lot of uh, men were off fighting. Their women were left at home. And in the small town of Mattoon, Illinois, a very strange series of crimes were reported. Uh, Mm. Nobody died, but... It looked like the town, the report was the town was under attack from a man or woman who came to be known as the Mad Gasser. So next time we're going to be talking about the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. All right. That sounds fascinating. I can't wait to talk about that. So, uh, folks, please, if you if you have any feedback or anything you want to send to Jimmy, send your feedback to by going to sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page. You can send an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or send a tweet to at mys underscore world with the hashtag of mysterious feedback. Until next time, Jimmy Akin, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Akins Mysterious World on StarQuest. Howdy, folks. This is Jimmy Aiken. 
Mysterious World is part of the StarQuest podcast network, and we need your help. Over the past year, StarQuest has grown by leaps and bounds. Every month, we produce dozens of shows on numerous topics, and all of them explore the intersection of faith and pop culture. Some, like Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, are among the most popular shows StarQuest has ever produced in its 13-year history. And our newest shows, like American Catholic History, are catching fire with new audiences. We're fulfilling our mission of evangelization in a whole new way, but that success is in danger. We must reach the financial break-even point if we're going to continue. Creating, editing, and distributing a dozen shows has caused our expenses to rise, and right now, we aren't making ends meet. We're rapidly running through our reserves, and soon they'll be gone. If that happens, we'll have to cut back many of our shows, and we might have to shut down altogether. That's why it's crucial we hear from you right now. If you haven't yet become a supporter, please do so. If you are a supporter, please prayerfully consider increasing your support. Just visit sqpn.com give and click the Become a Patron button to make your monthly pledge, or click the Donate button to give a one-time gift. You can do it right now while you're listening. When you become a patron, you'll have access to exclusive member benefits and several special thank you gifts for supporting StarQuest at different levels. The need is urgent, so please go today to sqpn.com give. Thank you from all of us at StarQuest, and may God bless you. May we hear from you today?